Welcome to Conversations with Creative Vagabonds, Thinkers, and Innovators. This is the place where great minds come to chat, and I am your host, Sandra Lee Schubert, and welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Indeed, it's going to be a snowy, blizzardy, blizzardy, I don't know if that's a word, day in New Jersey. And I'm here with David Leibowitz, who is the founder of Mobile Digital Art and More in Booton, New Jersey. He's also the creator of the book, Mobile Digital Art, using the iPad and iPhone as creative tools, which can be found on Amazon and I'm sure many other places. And his website is mobiledigitalart.com. Dot com. So, David, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good morning, Sandra. Uh, we're just trying to get through the day and get our um, tasks accomplished before this epic uh, blizzard, so they say, arrives. How are you today? <laughs> I am I am just fine. I am sort of housebound for the weekend, so I'm good, and I am, I am here to talk about fun things like digital mobile art, which I love, and you know, just so people know that Dave's gallery is is really just basically like a block, two blocks away from where I live. So I get to see his the art there all the time. It's not just his art; he's got a gallery of wonderful, wonderful artists. He has 3D printing. He's got all sorts of things: ceramic plates, metal plates, and he does this amazing work in his gallery. Not he produces this amazing work through other artists and through what he does. So I, I wanted to talk to him because to you specifically, because you've been sort of creating stuff for a long time on your own, but you're also picking up on this, this trend of mobile digital art and bringing it to the forefront by showcasing wonderful, wonderful artists. So why don't we talk a little bit about what mobile digital art is? Easy. You ask the right guy. Um, <laughs> it's rare that an art movement uh, can be defined by a singular moment in time. Usually it's something that evolves slowly. Um, a number of artists who are more than likely uh, close uh, as friends and close in proximity um, develop a new style, a new way of thinking about what art is. This art movement can be defined as one that that immediately came into existence the day the App Store opened. And on that day, artists all over the world, holding the iPhone in their hand, found a a sparkling little object dangling in front of their eyes. Um, And they reached out and they downloaded that sparkly little object onto their phone and they began making rudimentary mobile digital art and that is art made up of zeros and ones and created on a mobile device in this case first the iphone and then to everyone's sheer delight the ipad which just increased the amount of surface area for example a traditional painter to uh, seriously approach the task of making art on on a mobile computer platform Um, In 2008, when the App Store opened and people began making art on these devices, um, they somehow, and I want to say this is a little bit cosmic and kismet, um, they all gravitated to Flickr, an online social network about photos and photo sharing and art. And there was a group there. Um, Flickr is organized not just as a collection of photographs, but many, many, many groups which um, specify the the very small niche of photography that you might love and occupy. And then when you post your work, you can assign it to that group. 
so that it gets seen and critiqued and commented on by like-minded artists worldwide. So this first group, Art on the iPhone, was where many of the artists that hang on this wall in 2016 met in 2008. Our movement, as I said, um, began with rudimentary brushstrokes in rudimentary applications. It began with rudimentary photo manipulation, a la Photoshop, uh, filtration, um, painter, a couple of other desktop applications that artists and photographers were messing around with. But now the difference was that they were out and about. Um, And... I liken this to Sandra, Sandra, I liken this this change in technology to the changing technology that happened mid-19th century when the technology of the day was paint in tin tubes. Now, it's not something that's commonly discussed, but Degas said that without paint in tubes, there is no Impressionism. So now these painters were who were who were confined to their studios, or if they did dare venture out, their paints were transported in leaky pig bladders. Not something you'd want to do too frequently. Now all of a sudden they had paint in tubes, and they could go out and Monet could paint the same cathedral ten times quickly during the same day as the light changed. And Lutrec could go into a whorehouse and paint. They could go anywhere they wanted and paint. And the freedom of being outside and being out in the world with their canvases and brushes and newfound technology resulted in the most beloved art movement in the history of mankind. It's been said that if you polled every one of the human beings on earth as to their favorite art, 75% of them would say Impressionism. So you have to say, why? Why? And I say, I answer, the answer is play. And the playfulness and the freedom that paint in tubes provided these artists manifested itself in art that was so playful and so much fun. I'm going to use the word fun. This was not work. This was play pure play. And so now, fast forward, 2008, digital artists, they're tied to their their desktop computers or maybe even their laptops. But you're not taking your laptop to the supermarket. You are taking your phone to the supermarket. And when you're standing in line at the supermarket and it's normally wasting your time, you pull out your phone and maybe you do a painting if you're a painter. If you're a photographer and a mashup guy like me, maybe you take some pictures of the front page of the tabloids that are funny and absurd and use them in a collage. Um, That downtime that used to be for artists worldwide does not exist in our movement. We're always ready, at the ready, day and night, 24-7, 365, with a phone in our pocket and an iPad in our bag to make art. That's what's changed. And that's why the delineation mobile digital art becomes important to the movement. There is a term for it. I'm sorry. There's one term called a waiting. Mm -hmm. And a waiting is a combination of waiting and painting. And people (laughs) on different groups now associated with iPhone and iPad art will actually designate their work as a waiting and yet chuckles worldwide from artists who might appreciate the beauty of the art, but are laughing at the fact that it was created while that person was stuck in traffic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, obviously, you know, people can bring sketch pads or tiny little sketch pads to supermarkets. I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, a, a given for many artists. They they may have a sketch pad or a tiny sketch pad sticking somewhere on their person. However, but you're talking about a movement that sort of not only encompasses artists, but people who maybe never thought to do art before who are having the opportunity to sort of create and play in an art field in a way that they might not have been before because – you know, learning to draw sketching is a different is a different t- technique than working on a digital 
a digital piece. I mean, I'm not saying that it's less of a talent, but it open, seems to open up the arena for other people to explore art, art in a way they couldn't before. I mean, they don't have to go to a class now to draw. They can just pull out their iPhone and play while waiting in line, as you're saying. Yes, and there's also something to be considered, um, two things, actually. One is that um, you can look throughout art history and see the artists who managed to rise to the very, very top. Um, and I'm going to say by hook or by crook, um, because there's lots of artists who did arrive at the top, especially in our modern era, who, you know, in my humble opinion, arrived there uh, based on maybe who they knew versus what they created. And this art movement, this mobile digital art, is also the first that's purely democratic. It's, a ba it's based on 100% access worldwide for artists to share their work with the masters and non-masters in a group all associated with the same kind of specific art and get feedback worldwide and learn. Um, so it's not about who you know. It's not about what parties you go to in Chelsea. What it is about is that you live in the northern reaches of the Netherlands and every day you're creating a piece of art that reaches your audience, your specific audience, every single day. The same way it would if you were standing next to them, only now it doesn't matter where you are, does it, Sandra? No. So it's a more democratic art movement, you're saying, in terms that it allows for people all grandmas, over the world to... Kids. Grandpas, I mean, kids, my book, everyone my book to do is that. Exactly. And, and, and the only mitigating factor about inclusion and the only factor that's important with accolades worldwide is the quality of your work. And that's why I say democratic, because no one knows where you're from, what language you speak, what color, what religion, what anything you have associated with yourself. And again, it's not about your connections. It's not about your art pedigree. It's not about what art college you went to. It's not about any of that stuff that has always mattered. I mean, you look and see who the great painters were centuries ago. They were they were sons of aristocrats for the most part. Right. So that's right. Well, I'm so, thinking. I know, know I, this may seem seem a little off off topic, but Penguin uh, Publishers has just decided that in order to hire. You no longer have to have a particular kind of degree. So I, I'm, I'm sure certain they're not just going to hire anyone who comes in just because they don't have the degree. But by virtue of saying, okay, there may be people that have talents and don't have degrees, it opens up a field and, and gives opportunity to people that may not be, have been able to enter into the publishing world through those means because they didn't you know, go to a particular college. Now you're sort of saying, okay, you can be equally as smart or talented and may not have a degree, so it begins to open up that process for other people. And what you're seeing here is that this, the idea of art becomes something that anybody can take on. And it doesn't have to be... Mona Lisa art, it just it, it just can be art that's creative and wonderful and fun for the person creating it. Well, you know, and that and what you said about, I'm just going to backtrack a little before you uh, proceeded with your analogy uh, to, to mobile digital art and go back to the corporation um, that was looking to hire people who did not necessarily have the degree. And I don't consider this off topic. This is on topic. What this is, Sandra, is this is, this is the, the new century's definition of what is human intelligence. Because in the past, that company would be looking for the degree. And what did the degree signify? It signified that this person had an amazing ability throughout high school and then college to master the art of absorbing information, integrating that information in their brain, and being able to effectively regurgitate said information. That was, what, that was how we defined intelligence. The people who could memorize, study, and retain the most are the ones who are our doctors and lawyers and, you know, et cetera. Those people 
got the educational opportunities to advance because their skill set allowed them, as I said, to, to look at things, integrate them into their minds, and be able to understand and regurgitate them. Today, that is not how I define human intelligence. Today, I define human intelligence as someone who can sit down at a computer and given a task or a question that needs to be answered, knows exactly which three words to type into the Google search box. And those three words, the difference between one word and the next, as you replace one of those three words, are going to affect how Google's algorithms feed you back the answer to your question. And the better you are at typing in those three keywords, the better, the smarter you are. And to that company who's looking to make a hire, who do you want? Do you want somebody who's really smart and they went through college and they got a great degree, but you're going to have to completely educate them as to, as to the nuances of your business? Or do you want somebody who you say, listen, this is what you're going to have to do, whatever it is. Pick, pick anything. You're going to have to sew a quilt. You're going to have to replace the engine in this car. You're going to have to do whatever it is. The smart person now knows how to, A, he's going to know how to Google that, those specific questions and get those answers. They're going to know how to go to YouTube and, again, in the search box, enter the correct keywords so that the videos that they get shown by other experts in the field worldwide who have posted their intellect on this 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 database, okay, of knowledge. I mean, you can go to YouTube and look at cat movies, or you can go to YouTube and learn how to take apart your faucet or take apart your car. I mean, you can you can learn anything right now. And again, that's the person I want working for me. I want that flexible person. I want that person who maybe who's 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 got that ADHD and can't deal with all the the um uh data input that's flying at us 24/7 but knows how to calm it down. And the way they calm it down is they use their brain, they put the right search words in that box and they solve the problem. That's who I want at my company. And companies worldwide, well actually in this country more so because we lag so poorly in education. I think the United States is 27th in education worldwide. And so our comp- our corporations are in in a, a they're in a deep doo-doo. I'm going to use the word doo-doo because I guess we're live blog. And um, they're in deep doo-doo because they get these college graduates and need to completely um, train them in so many ways because the, the, the college, the traditional form of education, doesn't do it. And it especially doesn't do it in our country. So, right. so you're, I, I mean, you, you are hitting, hitting on some interesting points here. And I, I know I remember when I was at my job, I got hired at a, a lesser salary than somebody who had a higher degree, even though I had 20 more years' experience. However, when somebody was having epileptic seizure in an office, the person they called to take care of it was me for you know whatever reason. So the person with the degree was making more money, but the person they needed to handle a life situation was me. And that's kind of that thing that we get into um, just in terms of art and, and whatever, that is your trained, you can do art, but it doesn't take into account other skill sets that show up for anybody in the world. Well, the way, the way this kind of search mentality manifests itself in the mobile art movement is that most of us are very active, um, not just creating art on mobile devices, but, but viewing others and commenting and learning from each other. It is the first art movement also that um, artists are not just open to sharing their um, methodology, but in some cases on Flickr, when you post a a piece of mobile digital art to a group for viewing, comment, etc., it is required that you list what application you use to create that piece of art. Um, Picture an artist from anywhere before 2008 and they're, they're creating something really cool and unusual and everywhere everybody wants to know how they did it. And you'll find this today. 
And the common answer is, well, listen, I'm, I, you know, this is my art. I'm not going to really, you know, share my methods with you. And people sort of get it, you know, like, you know, why would an artist who, let's say, spent their life figuring this kind of stuff out, just, you know, give it away for anybody. Um, mobile digital art is all about sharing and it's all about giving it away. Um, and it's all about encouraging, as you said earlier, um, a more democratic approach to even the creation of art by saying to people who are interested and have the aptitude, you have the phone in your pocket already. All you need is some applications that strike you and you and your psyche and and everything else is there as i said you don't even need free time life provides the free time whether you want it or not That's so true. it's um I, you know i i i guess the the other important factor about this art movement that i think is also very different and that maybe with the ex- exclusion of the dadis who are all about fun, that this movement is fun and it's about having fun and it's about play. And um, I am a strong, strong believer and I'm a strong, strong proponent of cre- of play being very, very important in the creative process. And that it's when Absolutely. we're playing that we make the most important discoveries, not when we're working. Right. And that when one approaches a problem, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to. We had we have a question from the chat room, so I'm I'm, I'm excited by this, because um, I know you have artists that are traditionally trained. So somebody has asked in the chat room, and then we'll say it's our Jed is who are provides the music for the show. He want, he would like to know how somebody who grew up in the old mode of intelligence adapt to this new method. So I know you have artists that are traditionally trained. And and they have adapted to this. How, how do you see that transition is is for them, and and how do people adapt? Well, I I'm going to use the first person that comes to mind when you say these words, and that's Corliss Blakely. She is a um, an amazing woman, uh, seventh generation of Vermonter, lives up uh, off a lake in Vermont that seems to be one of the most beautiful places on earth. Uh, at this point in her life, Corliss has managed to figure out how to get invited to attend artist retreats and artist seminars all over the place. She's figured out how to get app developers pay her way to go demonstrate the art of <laughs> painting on an iPad um, at different conferences and conventions around the world um, and pick up the tab. She's figured out a way to go to Nicaragua every winter when it's really cold in Vermont and teach children how to paint on their iPads. Uh, and I'm blessed that Corliss is in my book and and one of the uh, founding artists of my gallery. And what I do is on the walls of the gallery, I have a about a, an 8-inch by 8-inch oil painting done by Corliss because Corliss still paints in oils. Um, and she still paints in watercolors, depending on how she's feeling that day. Um, but she also paints on her iPad. And the 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 ability of the person walking into my space to wrap their head around what's on the walls is not always easy. So by having one of Corliss's oils there, it makes it easier. I say, this is an oil paint. Know what this is. You've seen it your whole life. No one has to explain it to you. No one has to explain the technique to you. You might know nothing about painting, yet you know in your heart and your soul what an oil painting is. Right above it, I have one of Corliss's iPad paintings. And I try to allow people, by looking at these two things, sitting right next to each other, understand that one does not pick up a phone or an iPad and create a masterpiece that more than likely the person who created that masterpiece created that masterpiece in a different medium many, many years ago. Another thing about my gallery, because I call it mobile digital art more a gallery for the 21st century, people assume that this space is filled up with 20 somethings. It is the exact opposite our best painter 
worldwide, and I'm going to say this because worldwide he is recognized as such. Patricio Villarol in Paris is in his late 80s. He's a jazz musician and a jazz teacher and one of the most prolific artists that has ever walked the earth. Every single day, he amazes this community of artists worldwide who see his work either on Flickr or Facebook or some group that they belong to. Every single day, this man posts masterpieces. When I finished my book, I had to decide on a cover. And one of the most difficult things about writing a book that is inclusive of artists worldwide is that you are dealing with artists and artists only worldwide. Got to be the highest concentration of insanity as a group that could ever be assembled. And Sandra, of course, I'm including myself. So now... Everybody worldwide has to see this book of mine come out on the marketplace. And I have to figure out what do I do so that worldwide people say, we really are not crazy about that Leibowitz's art, but at least he was smart enough to put Patricio Villarol on the cover. That's how we all feel about Patricio Villarol. His student, Helene Goldberg, is in her 70s. Corliss is in her 70s. Many of our artists are in their 50s and 60s. These are traditional artists. They've been making art their whole life. And all of a sudden, as I said, this magical device appeared. And simultaneously, worldwide, again, the difference between this art movement and every other art movement that's ever been born these people are scattered to the corners of the earth. They are united by the internet. Flickr is the glue that holds us all together. It is unprecedented. I don't know how else to describe it. It is, we see computers and modern technology um, change and modify every business that it touches every, every day, a new business. And obviously, this has been going on since, I want to say, the 80s in a significant way and the 90s, obviously, in a more significant way. And like Moore's Law, it's accelerating. And so now it's reaching a place like this, where your little handheld computer, a thousand times more powerful than my first Mac in 91, has the ability to generate art. Steve Jobs knew this when he introduced the iPad. The man standing next to him on stage was Steve Sprang. He's what the movement calls our Steve. And Steve Sprang is the inventor of the first major painting application called Brushes. What? Are you laughing at me? No, 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 no. Hello? I'm not at all. I just hit my mic. That was it. <laughs> 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 Well, well, Steve Jobs, when he introduced the iPad, recognized that um, the genius that he was, that creation on this mobile device, was a, a paradigm shift as well and thought it important to bring Sprang on stage to show people this is what artists are going to be able to do someday. Little did he know that that day, people in our group were waiting for FedEx to arrive and waiting to, put, to, to take those new devices and put them through their paces. Same thing with the new iPad Pro that just came out. Most people look at that thing and go, ah, oh, it's too big, why would I want that? Mobile digital artists around the world? Are you kidding me? Everybody said, this is another transformation of our studio. Maybe it's a little big to carry around at all times, but it's certainly not too big to be to be used in many, many places that, again, you could not be making traditional art. And the painters, the Patricio Villarols and the Helene Goldbergs of the world and the Susan Murtaugh's of the world who are using these larger devices to paint now, the trained eye sees the difference. I can see a difference between what these people are doing with their larger surfaces on their tablets. Sounds crazy, right? How could it be different? 
it is. And so I know I'm I'm just not letting you talk, Sandra. So I'm going to stop for a minute, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to maybe ask me another question before I go off on some crazy some ass diatribe. That's okay. Okay. Um, I, I, what I think it, what's interesting about what you're saying is, is I mean, I love computers. I took to them immediately. I mean, I have not, I have to say, I have not been an Apple person, but, you know, I, I, I can be easily swayed. Uh, to me, I just saw them as these wonderful things that, uh, you know, things that could, you could create with whatever your skill but I, I think you hear so often people going on and on about how technology is ruining arts, it's ruining writing, it's it's just ruining everything because it's like you're not writing letters, you're not creating creating paintings. I I just hear that so often. However, I just look around me and I see they're they're so wrong. And what you're saying is that really they're so wrong. This medium, this medium of technology has expanded the universe. Facilitated. In, in, it facilitates that, creativity on all levels. Yes, right. Absolutely. It, it, and I think it's just, um, you know, it's just so interesting because I, way back when I interviewed an inventor, and I really was trying to, you know, wanting to get out, like how do you get from idea to invention, you know, and, and the same method that he used, you know, just being able to say, you know, you see something, it triggers something in your mind, and then you just sort of follow it down the line. This is what we're looking at in terms of art, and that you could be standing at the the supermarket and you could see, I don't know, you know, somebody's hair, and that could just stimulate something in that person that they can now create in the moment rather than having to wait to go home to get their paints out. This is what you're saying. This is what I'm hearing you say, that art art can now be instantaneous in its application rather than sort of like, I, I've got to hold my inspiration for it until I get my groceries home, you know. It's it's this instantaneous application. But I what I would like also to talk a little bit about some of the other things that are going on in your gallery because you do have – um, an artist who's creating 3D work. And even though this yes. isn't mobile, it's another application of how we're using technology and bringing it forth into art. So can we talk a little bit about that? Because I also think that's really fascinating. Absolutely. Um, his, name is, um, uh, his name is Jeff Flash, G-E-O-F-F Flash. And his name competes with the other 23 artists in the space for having the best name. Um, we do have another artist named Johnny Echo, E-C-K-O, who also has a fabulous name. But Jeff Flash's name is, is um, I, want to, I want to use the word epic. And I'm going to use the word epic when I associate not just his name, but the work that Jeff is creating. Jeff is local to Bootin. He teaches in Kinalon High School. His background could probably fill a whole one of these radio shows, but um, instead I'm going to briefly just say that um, he taught ceramics. And then as a technologist, he began being interested in, the, in 3D printing technology, and at the high school, he now teaches 3D printing. And Jeff is the first person on earth to produce work, which I am so blessed to have in my gallery, that is the synthesis between ceramic art and 3D printing technology. Instead of that ugly fluorescent plastic that gets melted and then squirted out of a tiny nozzle to form your intricate 3D dinosaur or whatever else had happened you'd be printing out that day. Jeff has figured out how to liquefy clay and feed it into his 3D printer and create the most beautiful, the most intricate, and in my opinion, paradigm-shifting objects you can hold in your hand. This is 
the time, as we were speaking about earlier, where computers took over yet another space that was occupied by something that went as far back as people taking some clay and molding it into a jug and firing it and using it to get water from the river to their cave. Except now for the first time, Sandra, you can design a shape on your computer and software and feed it to a 3D printer that's going to um, then print layer by layer an intricate 3D ceramic vessel that you are then going to fire and glaze. And at the end, what you have and what you hold in your hand is something that hundreds of years from now, people will point to as day one when ceramics and 3D printing were united and became in and of itself a transformed craft. Yes, it is completely mind-bending. And what I usually do in the gallery is after people come in, and I have their heads completely swimming with the concept of people making art on mobile devices. Are you there? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Sorry, you were so quiet. I thought I was disconnected I for a second. <laughs> no, no, I'm here. Um, when people's minds are so occupied and, and as I said, um, they're trying to process this visual information in my space. They come in and I start explaining about who's painting what on an iPad and who's using their iPhone to, to make which collage and which photograph. And their eyes sort of start rolling back in their head and get a little bit glazed. And that's when I present them with this piece of 3D pottery, 3D ceramics. When they don't think that their head could hold another drop of new information, I lay this H-bomb of information on their brain. And that's when their eyes truly roll back in their head. And many of them shake their head and put their hands over their eyes because they just can't take it. Um, it's one of the pleasures of owning my gallery is watching people try to even understand what's in the space and struggle with it and come to terms with it. And then I realize that what my job is, um, obviously I want to stay viable and I want to sell enough art to keep my doors open and, and keep spreading the movement. But my job is really education right now, uh, my first job. And, and I have to educate people that as to, as to what this even is. Um, the civilian, as I'll call them, walks in off the street. They've never seen anything like what's inside my doors. Um, most of them have used their phone for phone calls or angry birds. Um, so the idea that some traditionally trained fine artist, 85 years old, who's been making art for 67 years, is going to pull out their phone and create a masterpiece is very hard for them to wrap their heads around at first. As I said, then the 3D printed object comes out and they they just many of them just walk out the door and I personally would think it'd be great to interview some of these people the following day when they wake up in the morning and just get their impressions. Um, I think that would be really cool and maybe help me spread my message of um, what's important and going on in this space. Another well, I thing think, I want to talk know, about. Okay. I, I just wanted to uh, also just sort of, and just to, piggy bank on what you're saying about your space is that the benefit of Bhutan, at least in terms of a town and a main street, is that you have your gallery, which can definitely blow people's minds, but you have a gallery next to you that deals with photography. You have a gallery on the other side that may deal with modern art sculpture. You have a gallery on the other side that may have more traditional paintings or abstract paintings. So you have surrounding you all of this information that people can sort of take in from the traditional types of paintings that people are used to, to a little more avant-garde painting, to then your your space, which has digital art, which is just the next application of where art goes. So, you know, I, I am certainly beating the drum for people coming Bhutan Main Street because you do have all this opportunity within 
a couple of blocks to see all sorts of types of art and how it, it can manifest in the world, which I think is really just sort of a wonderful, wonderful thing to have happen. Well, you know, if you want somebody to pump up Bhutan and, and the art district in Bhutan, you, again, are talking to the right guy. Um, I was introduced to Bhutan Main Street by my one of my dearest and closest friends, Sue Kenny, who, along with Catherine Day, uh, owns and operates the Black River Gallery right next door to me on Main Street. And when my book was published, Sue said, please come to my gallery every first Friday and do book signings. And if you like, set up an iPad and demonstrate mobile art to the people in there. She'll said, you, you, it'll be fun for you. It'll be an attraction for me. You'll sell some books and we'll get some of your mojo in my space. And, you know, again, Sue's one of my closest friends forever. She's an extraordinary artist. She was my yeah, master printer for 25 years. Um, a near or dear friend in the world does not exist for me. Um, if I were to do an exhibition tomorrow, whatever Sue had going on in her life, I could count on the fact that she'd probably be here helping me select frames and mats and getting things ready to go out the door because mm -hmm. she wanted to. Um, just a small story about Sue. When she used to print my work traditionally, um, using uh, copy cameras, large negatives, dark rooms, baths, chemicals, long before digital. Sue would encounter a problem, let's say, um, printing one of my images, where because of just the limitations of photographic technology, she might be able to capture 97 or 98% of, of accurate color, translating my SX-70s to large prints. And what I once caught her doing was hand-rubbing color using Kodak dry dyes into the surface of my prints, unbeknownst to me. And I said, are you rubbing color into my prints? I'd sort of walked into the lab and she hadn't seen me. And she acted as though she was a thief caught breaking into a, a bank. Um, and then had to explain why she felt the need to do this. And it was because she cared about my work so much, Sandra, that 97 or 98% of accurate color in my reproduction from my S670 wasn't good enough for Sue. And if she had to hand rub those extra 2 or 3% of color using Kodak dry dyes and Q-tips into my prints, that's what she was going to do. That's who Sue Kenny is. And when I Yay, was Sue. doing my book signings at her gallery, I saw what was going on on Main Street in Bootin. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um the spaces you're talking about, Black River, Sue and Kathy are just extraordinary photographers. They present extraordinarily sensitive work that's not just beautiful, but integrates some of the older, um, more eclectic kinds of photographic presentation, like encaustic um, gold leaf. And Sue doesn't just use gold leaf. Sue uses... 22 carat gold leaf from Florence yes, on her gold leaf that I know. pictures. So, again, it's not just what they do, it's how they do it. Um, across the street, Broadfoot and Broadfoot is the oldest gallery space on Main Street. They've been here 20, 25 years without a break. And they represent, in my opinion, um, the epitome of the traditional art space here in town. Their work is um, very refined, but again, abstract oils, beautiful, realistic oil landscapes done by very, very talented traditional painters, extraordinary sculpture. Um, Scott and Sean have a sister gallery on Orchard Street in Manhattan, and so the work right. has a, a distinct Lower East Side sensibility as well, attached to what's in and out of their space. Um, and again, it anchors Main Street in its um, presentation of what is and isn't art. And for their long-established list of collectors and patrons, their, their monthly shows provide a constant stream and source 
of new art and new inspiration that they come and fill their homes with. And for that, we are all amazed that um, that yeah. these two have managed to to create a business that is that has such a fantastic working business model and centered around traditional art. Next door to me um, are the are the um, Bootens uh, Citizens of the Year 2015 uh, Paul and Christy Jaish, and they have a speakeasy when gallery which is concentrated on. Um, not just presenting um, diverse and eclectic art and sculpture, uh, a lot of which they actually participate in themselves as working artists, um, but they also have a, a very strong emphasis on education in the space. So there's a lot of constant classes with a lot of kids coming in and out. And, um, you know, for me, that's it doesn't get any better than that. Right. Um, Do you not just do they present... Well, I, I mean, Sorry? I just you know just would like to say the I guess the whole thing is that we you know a, as a microcosm of art we are represented so very well here in town, and it, it I think it sort of goes back to your your sort of initial point of of art being democratic and and having many sort of ways that it gets presented in the world from you know just you know, the opportunity to talk to you is is a way of presenting art into the world. You know, digital art, you know, somebody can go grab a huge, you know, painting from Broadfoot, well, not grab it, but buy it, and, and take it home and hang it on their wall. So there's all these wonderful applications, but I would like to get a little bit back to the technology part and sort of how, you know, not only do we have 3D printers printing that you know, at some point we'll have, you know, applications for many people to use and, and does in some way now. But then you, you, you know, in your space you have a um, uh, a press, I think that's what you call it, where you can print yes. ceramics and you can print metal plates and you can create tiny little portraits of, of art that people can just sort of put in, literally put in their pocket or they can have bigger pieces. So, the, how art is produced now can be done in sort of the back room of your gallery in different yes. ways than maybe where you had to send it out. You can now say, okay, you want this on a little tiny metal plate? Here, let's go. We'll go into the back and we'll do that. So can you talk a little bit about I'm printing one today for a, a customer that came mm -hmm. to me um, from next door. Mm -hmm. And and again, I'll tell you a little about the Dye Sub Heat Press, um, but What's important for me here is that, you know, next door, another gallery, in this case, Sue and Kathy, said, listen, we were talking to one of our friends. and They really liked this piece, and they were wondering if that you could do it on metal, and they were wondering how much it would be. And so my print sale isn't even my print sale. It's Sue Kenny's print sale and Catherine Day's print sale. Um, and, and, you know, all of us, if somebody walks into my space and is looking around, I'm like, have you been next door? Have you what? seen what's going on in the gallery next door? And that is also, um, you know, a spirit of sharing and a spirit of um, uh, maybe it's confidence. I think because all of us know that what we have is great and extraordinary, but diverse enough and understanding that art is so personal that what, appeals to one person and what they want to live with on their wall is very different than the next person. And that we, we encourage people who come to explore what's here in town. Um, and I think, you know, this is the, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats kind of concept for me, Sandra. Mm -hmm. um, we also, one of our impetus is my social media director, Brianna McGraw, who is just an amazing woman. Uh, her first task when she was hired was to uh, explore and figure out how um, one gets a free listing in the metro section of the Sunday Times. Um, every New York Times, wherever it's published, has a separate metro section that deals specifically with that area. And in this case, right. it's Metro New Jersey. And the art listings and the dance listings and all of the different creative listings are regarding New Jersey listings and not New York or Long Island or Westchester or wherever you live. 
And so by simply following a certain format and presenting the information um, at the right time and to the right person in the right place, if you're lucky, you'll get listed in the Times. Well, our directive was not just to do this for us, but to, to share this information with mm-hmm. the other three galleries. And this is how it's worked. We, all of us, have had our galleries listed in that metro section in the Times. And people come into the space and say, we saw you in the New York Times metro section and we love this. Speakeasy, Black River, and ourselves have been all fortunate enough to have images from our galleries also published in that section of the Times to promote art and to promote the art out of our space. And it is significant. People come, and it is the exact demographic who shows up at your door. It is the person who wakes up Saturday or Sunday morning, opens that section of the Times or sees it online and says, look, there's two galleries in Bootin. There's three galleries in Bootin. Look what's going on. What the hell is going on in Bootin? Let's go check it out. And that's who you want. You want that person who sees that as Mm-hmm. as the most valuable way they're going to spend that, that downtime on the weekend is exploring right. art someplace. So um, what else did I want to mention before my time is up here in the space? Well, well the like, heat press, well, let's, I was talking. Yeah, dude, let's talk about the, the press a little press. bit because I think it's good to have that idea where we can use, we have the ability to create art in different formats, which I certainly would like to present to people. Okay. Um I have been aware uh, for many, many years that um, with a certain amount of technology, um, in this case, uh, something called a dye sublimation printer, which is not a new technology, it's a rather old technology, but the one they sell now, today, um, is is very much updated and very much task-specific. And in this case, the task is transferring images very high quality to ceramic material or aluminum material for the creation of what we call in the gallery art gifts. What is an art gift? An art gift is a much smaller version of the limited edition art that's being offered in this space so that people who walk in um, and see something on the wall that they love but the print... uh, which would be limited edition because that's how we choose to sell our art, um, might be $500, it might be $700, it might be $1,000, and more that they, they're prepared to spend on art that day. And then they notice that there's a smaller version of that same image on a tile for 25 bucks that they can either ha- put on their shelf, they can hang it on their wall, or, or if they wish, they can use it as a coaster. Sounds crazy, right? But the point of an art gift is allowing the person who walks in the door to leave with something that they uh, treasure, that's artful, and that um, just provides essentially a revenue source for us to, you know, keep our doors open and, and, and continue with our mission statement. The other thing that I think is really important to mention in the last few minutes, Sandra, uh, and also highly related to technology and what we're doing there is that when we opened our doors um, a year ago, the first thing we did was bring in the fastest commercially internet service available, in this case, Optimum Ultra 101. It's available through their commercial um, hookups. Um, It provides us with a tremendous amount of bandwidth and a tremendous amount of speed. And here's what we do with it. We have, in addition to a fork lay hanging on the wall, which I can stream any artist's work from their Flickr photo stream, full stream in slideshow mode or individual, however the viewer chooses. We also have some very, very sophisticated streaming software on our our Mac Mini, on our desktop, hooked up to a camera. And what it allows us to do is the combination of a robust broadband internet service and robust software that handles the input of a camera, we can come out of our space at 30 frames a second with sync sound, meaning you hear and see what's going on in the gallery in a very natural, in a very easy-to-watch way. It's like watching television. There is a 30-second delay, so we do have some time to change and (laughs) alter what we are sending out. 
but essentially the promise of my guru in the early 90s of it doesn't matter where you are has manifested itself in this way. It really doesn't matter where you are. With this broadband and with this internet connection and with this streaming software, I actually attend conferences in Michigan with my guru. We're doing one in February again. The last one was called The Future in Pontiac, Michigan, where they used to make Pontiacs. And the city is filled with dilapidated old buildings that that these car companies have abandoned. And the cities have a choice. They can knock these buildings down or they can give them to um, very creative people who will fill them up with um, art and fill them up with um, uh, with technology and fill them up with education and use those as public spaces to further the cause of technological innovation and education in what was a useless space. In that conference, there was a monitor on a desk, and on that monitor was mobile digital art and more, and myself from the town of Boonton, New Jersey, live in Pontiac, Michigan, able to teach and able to interact Mm -hmm. with the people there, we're doing it again in February in another similar convention whose emphasis and focus is going to be on education and technology. And I believe this is going to be one of the strengths of our space. We're hoping very soon to start a photo class that you'll either be able to attend live in Bhutan or simply go on your computer, go on my YouTube channel, hit the button that says live stream and be at that class anywhere you are on earth. Right. So I and thought this before is... we ended, mm-hmm. it was Good. important to, to mention this to you that um mm-hmm. that this is this is one of our goals that Bhutan is a perfect place aesthetically for me to be, but it says you know, I could be anywhere. And as long as I've got my internet service and the ability to come in and out of the space, um large chunks of data at a very high speed where I am just just doesn't matter anymore, and we're taking full advantage of that now. Okay, I see yeah. we're almost done. So if you want to ask me any kind of closing <laughs> questions to this thing, I well, I, I know I, I just I keep sure. talking. I know that's all. That's all right. We, we that's why we had you on for an hour. So we, we knew you. We, I knew you could talk. <laughs> we have we do only have a couple we only have a couple of minutes so if you can sort of in you know a, a minute or two give us sort of you know the idea of where technology might go and just where people can find you that would be great okay um mobile digital art com is where you can find us and that website will direct you to our brick and mortar gallery but it will also give you a slideshow of all of our artists so you can see what work is represented by the space. And that's how you can find me. The last part of your question about where it's going to go, I think yes. I can hit that in two minutes, Sandra. Okay. Um, I had a meeting this week with a company called Mural on Broadway and 20th Street in New York. And what Mural does um, is an idea that I thought I thought of because when I opened my gallery and people walked in, I'd say, today I want to sell you art in a frame, and tomorrow I just want to sell you a frame. And people would be like, what? And I'd say, I want to sell you a frame that's Wi-Fi enabled that I can stream to, very specified art content, and that you'll be looking at that content. You'll be able to punch a button and save that content if you want. You'll be able to go back to that content. And 10 months later at Jacob Javits at, at Photo Expo, I walked into a booth and that frame existed. It wasn't just an idea that I had. It was somebody else's idea and somebody who had it before me and somebody who had the passion that I have for what I do to turn their product into reality. I met with them. Their idea is to sell this empty frame worldwide to doctor's offices and corporate spaces and hopefully eventually individuals. And mobile digital art and more will be a channel of art that you watch on your frame. That's where we're going. That's the future. Very good. Well, that's, that's, 
that's really wonderful. And, and David, I, I just want to thank you for being on the show and, and giving us some wonderful information about where mobile digital art and art in general is going. And um, I really appreciate having you on the show. Again, you can find David at mobiledigitalart.com and in Booten, uh, in New Jersey. Main Street, Street. Booten, New Jersey. Excellent. Very good. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much for asking, Sandra. I really appreciate my, the opportunity to, to spread the word. Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you. enjoyed the show. It is really great fun to speak to people and find out what they're doing in the world. If you are interested in reaching out on air, online, or in person, let me show you how. I am partnered with some great people, some strategic thinkers, and consultants to bring you the best services available. Call me at 347-560-1624 or email me at sandraleeshubert at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you.